Hey, listeners, welcome to this bonus episode of Being at Work, a very special episode with a very special guest. We're coming to you on a Tuesday today because it's a very special day. So much of my being over the last two years has been writing and publishing a leadership book based on the first year of the show, and it is available today. So to share a bit of the journey and the lessons learned along the way, my husband, Robert, is joining me on the show. He has some questions for me, and actually, I have no idea what he's going to ask me or how this will all unfold, but I did ask him to tell me about his intention for the conversation, and he said four things. Have fun, which I love. Laugh, which is always good. Get some thoughts on the book and learn more about the author. That's me. If you are a regular listener of this show, you know that many of my daily doses of leadership involve stories about my family and my husband, so I'm glad to get his voice into this feed. So Robert Butcher, welcome to Being at Work. Robert, I know this is something that you've been looking forward to, and I teed it up a bit, but I'll just, I'll let you drive. I mean, you're going to ask me some questions and I shared the intention you have behind the show. Anything you would add to that? Well, yeah, you sure did tee it up. And in fact, you already answered all my questions. <laughs> I think we're done. Well, Robert, you said you wanted to learn more about the author. Oh, that that part. We'll get to that. Okay. Yes. I'm hoping <laughs> for the audience here, I'm hoping this lands somewhere between Joe Rogan and Between Two Ferns. What about Brene Brown or Glennon Doyle? Those are my favorites. Those are the first two that came to mind right after being at work. No disrespect to being at work. You can see right out of the gate that Robert and I have some different perspectives on life. He listens to Joe Rogan. I listen to Glennon Doyle. I love that about us, though. But I love Glenn Doyle and Brene Brown just as much. All right. Well, honey, I just do want to say well done with this book. It is really fantastic. I have heard many of these stories in the past, and it's been really fun to watch you work so hard at writing the book, but just been great to read them on the page. So proud of you. It's been a lot of hard work, and you deserve to feel great about what you've created here. But I want to start at the back of the book, and at the end of the book, you have a chapter called Power in the Pivot and Casting Your Long-Term Vision. And you and I are both a, a proponent of a 10-year vision where there are no obstacles. I want to know, or at least I don't recall, who introduced you to that practice and when did you start doing that? I think I am naturally futuristic. You know, I've told you stories before about how I spend a lot of time in my head thinking about future events and even as a kid, I put myself to sleep, and I still do this, thinking about the possibilities of what could be. So I definitely think it's a natural strength of mine. Whenever I've done Strengths Finder, futuristic as always in my top strength themes. When I was going through my coaching certification, gosh, that would have been like 2009, through that process, we read a book called Breaking the Rules, Removing the Obstacles to High Performance. And in that book, the author who's done a ton of research on goal achievement, he shared how a lot of people set goals backwards. We set goals from 
where we are versus where we want to be. And if we go out and he says that it takes the average person seven years when obstacles go away, there was something about that idea that really resonated with me, like going out 10 years to this just blank slate of possibility and then saying, okay, if that's what I want in the future, what can I start doing today to get there? That just really resonated. So I think that's part of it is strength and then part of it is just hearing research around goal achievement. So I know writing a book or more than one book has been on your long-term vision for a while. When did that start and why did you want to write a book? 2007 was the first year that I casted a 10-year vision. And then every year, and now you and I in January, we always take time to co-create our 10-year vision. And then I set annual goals from that. So gosh, it was probably like 2010. I don't know. A few years ago, I put on my 10-year vision that I would have written three books by a certain time frame. So I got some writing to do, babe. Oh, I know you do. <laughs> well, that's great. I love the context of that because as we talk about a 10-year vision, it don't always work out. I think a lot of people think, well, we think that's going to work out exactly like that, but it doesn't. But we sure are driving closer to where we want to be all amongst the adventure. So in that vein, though, what would you attribute it taking this long to write the book? Because I know you wanted to write it sooner. And how did you stick with it? Well, you may remember October of 2020, we took a trip, which was a writing retreat for me. You surfed. I worked. I remember in our little condo that we were in, in Tampa, two days, I wrote and I wrote because I had created an outline and I started shaping the book. And so I wrote a big portion of the book on that trip. That was two years ago. So I finished the book, gosh, probably mid last year. And then sat on the manuscript trying to figure out how to publish it. And I just always had this feeling of it not being good enough. I didn't think it was ready, you know, because you would see me sit down and write in it. And I don't know, I just didn't feel like it was ready whenever I looked at it. So yeah, over the course of all of last year, I really struggled with, what the hell do I do with this manuscript that I've got? I knew there was something good about it. I knew... I had put a lot of heart into it, and I knew that it was based on stories that were really important. So I knew there was something there. I just didn't know what to do with it. I remember talking about you feeling like, is it good enough? And you were doing some more work on it, and you worked on it, and you changed some things up. What do you think was the magic sauce? How did the stars align that you finally felt like it was ready? What would you attribute that to? I think it's two things. Rachel Downey, who's the producer of Being at Work, she's with an organization called Share Your Genius. And the podcast exists because of her. She pitched the idea to me many years ago. And she and I were having a conversation about the book. And I was describing to her a little bit of what I was describing to you, Robert. And she just, she really encouraged me. Just, Andrea, get it out there. Just get it out there. Like You're never going to feel ready. What does that even mean? So really challenge me. Just put it out there. Put it out there. Do it. Why not? So that that helped to set things in motion, and I started to have some real focused conversations with publishers. I'd kind of bounced around and had some conversations that didn't go anywhere. There was some large publishers that wanted me to buy thousands of books, and I wasn't going to do that. And 
So one of my business partners, Scott Nicholson, I was describing the challenge to him one day and he said, well, let me connect you with someone who does a lot of publishing in the Chicago land area that I know. And he did, and she was fabulous. And she's like, well, it's not me, but you got to meet this person. And then I met that person, and she was really good, but she was like, it's not me. You've got to meet Sierra at Red Thread Publishing. Like, I think you would be perfect for her. You're her target. They're a small but mighty publishing firm. They're going to give you developmental editing and copy editing and all the resources that you need to get this book published. And she was right. I met Sierra, and from the first conversation, I felt inspired in a way I hadn't, and it has been off to the races. It's really interesting, too, the one story that's fun about this journey. It was probably like February-ish, when I was ha- February this year, that I was having the conversation with the publisher. Sierra is the leader of that business. And she said, when do you want to release the book? I'm like, I don't know. And like, you, you tell me, because I had a manuscript, right? So it wasn't like I was just working with them to write the book. I was working with them to publish the book. But she's like, well, let's just set a date. Like, give me a date this fall. And so I'm like, well, what about October 25th? And at that time, it felt so far away and so ambiguous. So now it's like it's here and it's happening. But what I love about that is put a freaking date on the calendar. Like, why not? She's like, okay, now that we have a launch date, we can work backwards. Here's what we have to do to make that happen. And I I just, I really loved that approach. And they've been amazing to work with. I'm so grateful for them. I've learned a ton. I've messed up a lot. (laughs) There's been a lot of like, oh shit moments along the way, as you know. But here we are. I mean, the book is done. The book is ready to be released to the world. And so with a gulp and a sigh, it's like, ooh, there it goes. Well, great job. And it's awesome. Hearing you say all that, the messages and themes of the book really come through. You stayed in the hard stuff. You know, you wrote and wrote. It took a long time, eight years. And then you took a lot of time massaging it. Your relationships were key to getting you to the right people. And the big picture has always been there. But really, great great job of sticking with it. Yeah. And and thanks for tying that back. That's really cool. I hadn't thought of that. I mean, this has been a, a pivot, hasn't it? And so, of course, those themes would emerge. Well, let's go there then. Let's get into the book. How'd you come up with those ideas and themes for the book? Well, it came from the stories. So there are 52 leaders that are highlighted in the book. And that's the cool thing about this book. Kevin Brenniger, who's the CEO of the Indiana Chamber of Commerce, he was one of the beta readers. He's also one of the leaders highlighted in the book. But he read the book in advance and gave me a testimonial. So his testimonial is in the book. And He says, you know, what's so unique about this book is it's the combination or the culmination of 52 leaders, executives, and Andrea stories. And so you look at 52 leaders, pivotal moments, and it's interesting that these three themes are so apparent across all of the stories. So that's why we called the book The Power in the Pivot, because obviously those three things that you just highlighted, and I'll just reiterate them. Going big picture, relying on your relationships, and stepping into and staying in the hard stuff. That's what really supports a pivotal moment or leading us from the chaos of transition to the clarity of, okay, I've got this. I got to say, just the vulnerability of the leaders in what they shared through your podcast was really phenomenal. 
And if you could give those leaders a view into how they've been able to help other leaders, what would you like that to look like? Or what would you think that would look like? Because I know you got to believe that what they've shared and what you're sharing in the book are is just really helpful for a lot of people, a lot of leaders. Yeah, that brought tears to my eyes because that's why I do what I do. I mean, I have the greatest job in the, in the world, right? I'm a professional encourager and I, I get to uplift and inspire leaders every day. So I'm so blessed to get to do that. But, you know, when you ask the question, I imagine like a drop of water hitting a still pond and it ripples out. Like all of these stories create ripple effects. That's the power of being vulnerable. That's the power of telling our story. We are all in this together. And so we can learn from each other when we take the time to reflect and listen to each other's stories. There's such a shared connection in the stories, especially the hard stuff. I mean, gosh, we're all struggling with something. And we often, you know, we're walking around with these masks on, pretending like we're not, but we are. (laughs) So being willing to say like, hey, I'm struggling right now. It it creates a connection. And these leaders, they are some pretty high-powered leaders. So when we think of, we don't think of them having these struggles and certainly not having vulnerability to share that and just that they have. I know you feel this and I guess I hope the readers also recognize and tip the hat to them for sharing those really vulnerable stories. It's such a good point. And it's a really a good reminder that there's no level that we'll get to that is going to cure our insecurities or keep us from feeling like imposters at times. I often share that, you know, to date, I have done 150 interviews with executives. I'm just so blessed to have gotten to create the space for people to share their stories. Actually, I'm working on book number two that's about that, the impact of sharing your story. But it's so interesting. There's such a theme at the end of those recordings As soon as I hit the stop button, I always applaud them and say, yeah, that was so good. Thank you. Thank you. Because the first question that they ask is, was that okay? I mean, Jim Kuzis, who's the co-author of the Leadership Challenge, I mean, that guy's written, what, 30 books on leadership. I know I have followed and learned from him my entire career. And at the end of our recording, he's asking me if it's okay. (laughs) There's such a humanness in that. Like, oh, of course, we're all walking around with doubts and fears and insecurities. So give ourselves grace. I've almost asked you to restart this interview two times now, so (laughs) I can understand. You are doing so good. (laughs) It's just like a conversation, right? It's just like a conversation. Right. So you've mentioned this is year one of the podcast. 52 leaders. You've gotten to interview 150 some total. So the chapters come from a coalescing of common themes. Are there any new themes or different things coming out of the more current interviews you've had? I would call them like meta themes. I would say these are the specific themes from the details of their stories. Book two that I'm thinking about is I just, I have seen the impact of these leaders sharing their stories. I've gotten so used to emotion on this show, crying and feeling anger at what's happened to someone, or it's very emotional because they're intimate. 
because they're telling stories about big challenge in their life. And I've had so many leaders come back to me and say, thank you for that. That was healing for me. That was transformational for me. I had never told the story that way before. Thank you for creating a safe place for me to process that. And I mean, I've just, I've heard that particularly over the last couple of years, just as the world is struggling and pressured, that creating spaces where like sacred spaces where we can be really raw. And then what's so cool about a podcast forum is then sharing that rawness with people. This show continues to grow and grow every month. And I attribute it to that because we're, we're not making shit up. We're talking about real stories and feeling real things and stories at work that traditionally have not been told. And I'm grateful for that. So your podcast is one of the top leadership podcasts out there right now. What can the listeners expect next from being at work and your daily dose? We're so excited about our partnership with People Forward Network. So Nikki Llewellyn is the CEO of People Forward Network, and her mission is all about aligning people-forward leaders with content that inspires, uplifts, encourages, sustains that people focus. And she's an incredible connector and has really helped us think about how we can expand the quality and the reach of our show. We're adding a micro community in 2023. So we're going to align with other businesses that have a like-minded perspective around leadership and growth. And they'll be providing mini episodes in our feed it's just a way to add more value to our listeners. We'll, you know, we'll continue with the daily doses. I get so much feedback on the impact of those daily doses. I've just recently, I've had two leaders say, I share those with my kids in the car in the morning. And it allows me to talk about things I wouldn't ordinarily. And I'm like, yeah. Sophie, my stepdaughter, Robert, your daughter, you know, her friend Holly is a big fan of the show. And listens to it every day. Yeah. So it's just... Well, and that's why I get tears in my eyes when you ask questions about like what impact is this having? Because I know that I I know that everything each of us does every day is creating ripples. And I want to create positive ripples. Like that's so important to me. Back to the book. What was your favorite and least part of writing this book? Pulling it all together. I love seeing connections form. I love seeing just our shared experiences coming out like that was really just empowering and fun and then looking to my own stories you know I, I share so many personal stories in the book of personal and professional leadership challenges and I could see the theme so clearly because I started with I started with just some analysis of those 52 and what are the themes and then I reflected on my own stories and wove those in. So I, I really love, yeah, and even as I'm talking about that now, I can feel the energy in that. Like that connection is really cool, which I think brings credibility to those themes, right? I'm sure the surfing retreat weekend was a close second though, right? <laughs> I'm sure it was for you. <laughs> yes. I think every book you write, we have to get a writing slash surfing retreat weekend. It's interesting that you say this. I think the part – I am not one. I'm not like a thorough. I'm not going to go and lock myself in a house for a week and write. I think the isolation part – so 
Robert, you know, I'm writing, I'm rewriting HR for Dummies right now. And this past weekend, I had huge blocks of writing and I felt awful. Like I emerged from the weekend feeling the like, okay, that's not how I write. I am not one to like go and write for two days straight. I like shorter bursts of writing. I think that makes me feel more creative and engaged. And I'm just, I'm too much of an extrovert and love. I get energy from people. So locking myself in a room does not give me energy. Yeah, that's great insight. What advice would you give for a budding author, somebody thinking about writing their own book? It's the same advice that Rachel gave me. Like, just do it. If you feel called to do something, trust that. So Glennon Doyle was on Elizabeth Gilbert's podcast. I forget the name of it. It's like Magic Lessons or something. It's a 2016 episode, so it's a few years old. But just bear with me because this is a great story. They were talking about how you view your creation. Like we are all artists and we're all creating things every single day. But what keeps us from creating is the judgment of our creation. And the best artists don't judge the creation. They just love the joy of creating. But what happens is we create something and then we have to babysit it. We follow it around and we defend it if somebody doesn't like it. And she's like, no, be an artist, not a lawyer. Create rather than judge. And so that's how I'm looking at this book. And of course, the perfectionist in me, like I'm petrified that I'm going to see a typo in there or... I'm going to see something that doesn't quite make sense or somebody's not going to get it or like it. And as soon as I have that thought, I see it. And then right next to it, I'm replacing that with, it's a creation. It just is. It's not good or bad. It just is. And I loved the process. I learned so much from the process. And that's what I'm focused on. I'm being an artist. That's a great segue because you are very artistic in your drawing out a leadership lesson in any kind of circumstance. So you have an uncanny ability to take any situation and draw a leadership lesson out of it. (laughs) And that's where I'm coming up with my next idea for your podcast. And we're going to try it out here. But the best name I've come up with so far is Minute to Pivot. So this is going to be like a lightning round. You get one sentence to give us the leadership lesson in the situation. I love it. Minute to pivot. I'm going to give you the setup and you got to give us the leadership lesson in one sentence. It's a lot less than a minute. I realize that, but 30 second to pivot just didn't really, or 10 seconds to pivot didn't really sound the same. So, (laughs) okay. All righty. Well, these are going to be fun. There's stories you already know. Here we go. First minute to pivot. A family member goes to a funeral thinking it's someone else's and doesn't realize until mid-eulogy that it's actually somebody different. Oh, the leadership lesson is credibility comes from knowing the people that you are in relationship with. And if not, like a whole host of challenges could emerge. I nailed it. That's excellent. You did. Despite your long-term vision, you have still... Not beat your husband at tennis. (laughs) The lesson is be thoughtful about how you name the aspects of your vision. 
Yeah, because at one time it was like I was going to be in a wheelchair, it sounded like. No, because it was Robert (laughs) can no longer beat Andrea at tennis. And really the vision is I want to be competitive as we age. We got to stay on it here. Here's the last one, and, and we'll have to expand this later. But you have a very specific Starbucks order, but they only get it correct one out of three times. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think the lesson is reevaluate your order because clearly there's something in the process that's not quite right. Because I am the common denominator in all of those situations. I will say, in my defense, how hard is it to add an inch and a half of cold oat milk? It's not that hard. There's something gets lost in the the shuffle of the, in the something's off. Yeah, so I just probably need to reevaluate the words that I am using. Stay in the hard stuff, <laughs> right? I'm not giving up. Thanks. Good job with the minute to pivot. You nailed it. Did we have fun? I had fun. Did you have fun? Yeah. We get some thoughts on the book. Did you learn about the author? I did. So we accomplished our goals. So the book is available now. You can find it on Amazon simply by searching The Power in the Pivot, Andrea Butcher, and it will just pop up. Also, I have to ask, would you please leave a review on Amazon and or share on social media, particularly LinkedIn? All of those things really help to have that ripple effect I was talking about earlier that's so meaningful to me. And also, I'm currently booking speaking engagements. The book is such a great one for leaders really at any level who are leading through pivots and who isn't leading through some sort of pivot in their life. I would really love to uplift and encourage your leaders by bringing the themes we talked about today to life for them. So Robert, thank you so much for taking the time to reflect on this book journey today. I love you and I appreciate you. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast to never miss a being at work story.